Amen. Well, the series is entitled Extreme Makeover, and the timing is right, as you can imagine, because with the beginning of a new year, there are a lot of us who are taking stock of our lives, and some of us are looking at the scale, you know, and deciding that maybe it's time to do some things with the physique. I know that I'm thinking about that. You know, you eat the Thanksgiving meal and the Christmas meal and all the snacks and stuff in between, and after a while, you know, you get on the scale, and like the old joke says, the message comes out one at a time, please. A a lady, lady I heard about was probably better than anybody else in describing why she knew she needed to make some changes. She was shopping with her grandson and uh, was selecting a a pair of pantyhose. And while she was pulling different uh, pair out of the rack, her little grandson, who was just beginning to read, began to read out loud, letter by letter, uh, what her selection was. And he started out, Q, U, E, E, N, S, I, Z, E. Now that would have been rough enough to have that read out loud while you're shopping. But then all of a sudden he said, Grandma, you wear the same size as our waterbed. She said she knew at that point it was time to get something done. (laughs) Extreme makeover, though. It's a big thing today. It's a rage. But you know, what what I want us to think about during this series is not an extreme makeover on the outside, but an extreme makeover on the inside. People are excited about these makeovers and reality television that focuses on makeovers because really when it gets down to it, Americans are pretty much unhappy with the way they look. They want to look different. And the idea of just a total change where you can get your, you know, your hair fixed and your teeth fixed and, and liposuction and all these things where you can come out looking attractive and beautiful, that is a very, that's a very, it's a very enticing thought for many Americans. But I'm concerned a lot more about a change on the inside. And beyond that, please don't think that this is, a me- this is a sermon series that's all about just people being saved, because although that certainly is the greatest makeover you can experience, I've pastored long enough to, to know a lot of people who know Jesus Christ as their personal Savior, but they're in drastic need of an extreme makeover. Let me just ask you a question this morning to mull over. What would you consider a mature Christian to be? Because see, when we think about a makeover in which God could change us to becoming something wonderful, uh, what would you think that would be? What would your idea be of an extreme makeover? The reason I ask that question is a lot of people have this in their minds that a religious person or a mature person is somebody who goes around very pious. And I don't guess there's anything wrong with that. But when I, believe, when I look at what I believe a mature Christian is, I, I look at somebody who is joyful. I look at somebody who does not live motivated and enslaved to their fears. See, I know many people who've progressed a long way in the Christian religion, but they have not really grown to a joyful maturity. If you ever get around a joyful Christian, you will never forget what it's like to be in his or her presence. Because when you are around them, you walk away and you say to yourself, that's what I believe Jesus is like. One of the few people I ever met like that was my grandmother, most beautiful lady I ever knew in my life. She was not trained in Bible college. She was not a great theologian, but she was so filled with the love of Jesus. And I've shared this with you before. In 1981, when I preached her funeral, 
The choir loft behind me was packed with pastors who had come from all over the state of Texas because of the grace and the beauty that was in my grandmother's life. She was so filled with Jesus. I never heard her critical of anybody else. I never heard her bitter about any even of the unpleasant experiences that she encountered in life. But she was so filled with the love of the Lord that there was a beauty that radiated from her even in her last days when she was dying with cancer. And so I think to myself, that's the kind of makeover I want. I need a makeover that changes me from the inside out. Now, let me just say something to you. In this service today, I'm not going to be able to tell you how to have an extreme makeover in this one service. You're going to have to come back week after week. And that's not a catch. That's not a hook to draw you in. I'm just trying to tell you the concept that I'm going to share with you in this series is kind of multifaceted, and I'm going to have to take a different look at it each week. And when it's all said and done, I believe you'll be able to take a look at these five sermons and say, yes, this is how I could have an extreme makeover. For those of you who like to study your Bibles, I got started in the book of Philippians because it was in this book, in my study of the book, that God began to show me how a Christian could have an extreme makeover. And so this morning, the first sermon out of the series, Learn How the Master Works, the perfect makeover. And that's what I want you to have in this series. During this uh, beginning of the year in 2005, I want you to think about how to have the perfect makeover and knowing how the master works. Could I start with this question this morning? Who's going to do your makeover? You say, Mark, I'm not having a makeover. Trust me, you're going to have a makeover. In fact, chances are you're going to have many makeovers in your life. So let me ask you, who's going to do or who is in the process of doing your makeover? My sister-in-law in Texas works for one of the most noted plastic surgeons or cosmetic surgeons in the country. And they're always famous people coming in and out of that office, and he's being interviewed all the time by major magazines and news organs. And when I talk to her, she tells me, she can't tell me about the specifics of what goes on, but she talks about how that it's a, it's a place where a lot of famous people come because this guy is so good, the best and the most beautiful trust him with their makeovers. I'm asking you this morning, who are you trusting to do your makeover? You're going to have a lot of offers. Your friends are going to want to do your makeover for you. You know, wh whoever you hang out with, they're going to have a big impact on you, and they're going to try to make you over. It's just part of life. You know, if you graduate from high school and you go to university, I tr trust me on this one. When you go to those freshman classes, the university is going to try to do a makeover on you. They're going to try to make you over, reshape you. A drug dealer for some of you. Some of you were a different person before you got on drugs. But there was a dealer. His goal, her goal, was to do a makeover on you. This one may really shock you. Religion or churches will try to do a makeover on you. I know many churches today, you know, when you join that church, you become part of a culture, and that, that culture will begin to try to shape you and mold you into thinking like they do and acting and looking like they do. And then, of course, family. Boy, that's a big one, Amen. I mean, that will go all throughout your life. Your family will always be trying to do a makeover on you. Why is that? Why are there so many voices screaming at you to get to do a makeover on you? It, it's because of this, guys. Control is a big thing in this world, and you're the prize. That's true whether I'm talking about a drug dealer or a church. Control. People want to control you. What is that stuff in us that's so broken that we want to control other people? I'll, I'll tell you what I think it is in a few moments. I'd give it away if I tried to give it to you now. 
But I'll just say this. That's a big thing in our world. People want to control you. You are the prize. You say, Mark, I don't feel like a prize. You are. Your life is worth more than all the money in the world. The offer that Jesus put in for you cost him all his blood. So how would you put a price on that? So I'm asking you this morning, who are you trusting to do your makeover? Right now, who are you trusting to make you over? Well, start with the question, who would you trust? Who would you trust with your life? I've never had cosmetic surgery. My guess is it wouldn't do any good for me. I have a I have a face that probably just defies cosmetic surgery. But I was thinking to myself as I got ready for the series, you know, if I ever was going to have cosmetic surgery, I sure would want to be able to trust the guy or the lady that, was, that had the knife. Amen? I never forget watching television. Not too long ago, there was this woman on television who had cosmetic surgery done, and whoever did it didn't do the greatest job in the world because one of her eyes went this way and one of her eyes went this way. And I'm thinking, you know, whoever you trust to do your makeover needs to be somebody who is trustworthy. And so today I want to focus on the master, the one that you can trust, the one who is really trustworthy for your makeover. And I'm going to give you three thoughts, and all three of them have a word that has the letter C in it to help you remember. Let's start with the credentials of the master. I had done some reading sometime back on those who do cosmetic surgery and and Sometimes there isn't the stringent requirement on some of these guys who perform this surgery. But with God, He has great credentials. Look at Philippians chapter 1 and the sixth verse. Paul writes, And I am sure that God who began the good work within you will continue His work until it is finally finished on that day when Christ Jesus comes back. That is one of the most awesome verses in the Bible. I want to read it to you one more time. And I am sure that God who began the good work within you will continue his work until it is finally finished on that day when Christ Jesus comes back again. What do we learn from that awesome verse? Let's look at it one more time. It is a good work. The work that God wants to do in your life is a good work. The Greek word for good there is a word that means pleasant or joyful, or agreeable, or happy. You know, (laughs) the word also means something is for your advantage. Whenever I go to the dentist, I know it's for my advantage, but it's not pleasant, it's not agreeable, it's not joyful, amen? But the great thing about what God wants to do in your life, it is a pleasant work that God wants to do. I love that. When you surrender your life to God for Him to work in your life, don't be afraid of that because what God does is a pleasant work. The the word there that is used for good is the same Greek word that's used in Romans 8, 28 where the Bible says God works all things together for good. So, first thing we learned about the credential of the master is a good work. Number two, his work is done within you. Look at the text one more time. It is a work that is done within within you. Um, You know, as I was getting ready for this series, I thought about some famous people in the past who've had way too much cosmetic surgery done. And Doris Duke came to mind. I don't know if any of you have ever seen a picture of Doris Duke. She lived a long time ago. She was an heiress. Just didn't know when to quit having cosmetic surgery. And by the time she died, I mean, her skin was as tight as a drum. But all throughout her life, she had problem after problem, got into all kinds of bad relationships, and died extremely unhappy. The problem with Doris Duke was that all the work was going on on the outside of her and not on the inside. 
The work that God does is a work that is inside of you. And that's where we need the work today. Number three, the Bible tells us he will continue his work until you are perfect on the day when Christ returns. Now, when you surrender your life for God to work in your life, he, go, he goes to work, and he keeps working, and he keeps working. You say, well, what happens if I check out on God? He won't check out on you. You may go through some tough times, maybe some painful experiences, but God is going to keep on working on you. In 1 John 3, verse 2, the Bible says we can't even imagine what we will be like when Christ returns, but we do know that when he comes, we will be like him, for we will see him as he really is. So God will just keep right on working on you until you become like Jesus. Here's the fourth thing. The longer he works, the better you become. Now, that doesn't always, it's not always the case with plastic surgery, amen? Does Michael Jackson ring a bell? I mean, there's just some people that should have stopped a long time before. You know, when you're dancing and your nose flies off, something is really not good. So I just want to say to you this morning, the master has got credentials. When you turn your life over to him, you're turning your life over to somebody who's going to do a good work. It's going to be a work that's inside of you. He's going to keep right on working until the day when Jesus comes back and you're like Jesus. And the longer he works, the better you become. So that's the credentials. Let me give you the second word that starts with the letter C. This time the word is consultation. Whenever you go in for a makeover, you go in for a consultation. And the master doctor, master physician, or whoever's doing the makeover is going to consult with you to show you what you need to know. Take your Bibles one more time, this time in the book of Philippians chapter 1, and I want you to look at verse 10 at a tremendous verse. Paul writes, for I want you to understand what really matters so that you may live pure and blameless lives until Christ returns. Now think about that one more time. Paul said, I want you to understand what really matters. Why, Paul? So that you will live a life that is pure and clean. Now, it's interesting to me that the Bible connects knowing the things that really matter with living a clean life. If I had been writing that verse, I would have said something like this. I want you to know what really matters so that you will live a wise life. But that's not what the Bible says. The Bible says, I want you to know what really matters so that you will live a clean life. And the Word of God is right on. I'm talking to some of you today. You're saved. You've been saved for a long time. And you go to church and you study the Bible. But when it gets right down to it, your life is a spiritual wasteland. And you cannot figure it out. You've heard preaching. You've heard teaching. You've read books. And yet inside your life, you're filled with lust, you're controlled by anger, you've got jealousy, you've got bitterness, you have a fear perhaps in your life that just absolutely torments you, and you're wondering, what in the world is going on with me? Why can somebody who knows so much about the Bible have these kinds of problems? And then what further aggravates the situation is you look at the stimulus that gets you into that problem or, or triggers, triggers your problem, and you think, that is my problem. This is what causes me to, to have lust. This is what causes me to be anger. This, have anger. This is what causes me to have fear. And perhaps there's some measure of truth to whatever that stimulus is that creates the problem. But let me just tell you this. If you are saved and yet your life is characterized by any of these problems, 
The real problem is you have not settled on the things that really matter. you got all kinds of voices going on in your head. You're letting people tell you all kinds of things. You're trying to be everything to everybody. And because you haven't discovered what really matters yet, that's why you're bouncing off the walls with all these problems and, and lack of control in your life. Guys, remember this. Nothing will mess you up like being double-minded. Whatever else is going on in your life, nothing will mess you up like being double-minded. James says in James 1 verse 8, he is a double-minded man, unstable in all he does. When you and I do not know what really matters, there is an instability that characterizes every facet of our life. It happens with our marriage, it happens with our kids, it happens with our parents, it happens with our friends, it happens with God. When we're, when we're double-minded, when we're operating on two different standards, there, then that opens the door to all kinds of failure and fall. I have a very good friend, and he's a Christian man, and I love him, and he's a wonderful guy. But I'm watching him go through all kinds of things. I mean, you don't know where he's going to be because one day he's, he's, he's operating on one set of values. Another day he's operating on another set of values. One day he's listening to one crowd. The next day he's listening to the next other crowd. And nobody knows where he's going to come down because he's double-minded. Paul said, I want you to know the things that really matter so that you will live a clean and focused life. Truth is, many of us are driven and defined by our insecurities. You know, when we are insecure about something, we don't really know what matters in our life. God does not want you living like that. God wants to do a consultation with you, and that's what's going to happen with this series. For the next few weeks, we're going to focus on the things that really matter so that we will lead clean and godly lives. Let me close out with this one this morning. The third word that starts with C is the word change. And I'm going to just say this. You will love the change that God will make in your life. This, this thought that I'm going to share with you is so big, I wonder if we can really accept it. Here's the thing. God can make you perfect. When I chose the term perfect for the perfect makeover today, I'm staying right with the Word of God. God has the ability to give you a perfect makeover. Do you believe that this morning? Start with this, the model that God is working with. Sometime back, there was a pro football team owner who uh, had a star on his team who was a very handsome young man. And this owner went to cosmetic surgeons and said to them, I want you to make me look like the star on my team. He had picked out a model, and he said, I want to look like him. Well, the great thing is, as God works in your life, God has a model picked out for you. God has somebody that he wants you to be like. In Philippians chapter 1, verse 20, the Bible says, For I live in eager expectation and hope that I will never do anything that causes me shame, but that I will always be bold for Christ as I have been in the past, and that my life will always honor Christ, whether I live or die. For to me, living is for Christ, and dying is even better. What God wants to do in your life and in my life is to make you and me like Jesus. God looks at His Son. His Son is the model. God goes to work in our life. To the extent that we surrender our lives to His process, God will begin to make us like Jesus. Jesus. Well, beloved, that's an attractive thought to me. Is it to you? You know, I don't want to look like somebody in the church. I don't want to look like some religious leader. I want to look like and be like Jesus Christ. 
Well, take your Bible. I want to take you on a, a kind of a strange side trip this, this morning as I get ready to finish out the message. Take your Bible back to the Old Testament book of Zechariah. In case you don't know where that is, find the break between the Old Testament and the New Testament. Old, last book of the Old Testament is Malachi. First book of the New Testament is Matthew. When you get to Malachi, back up a book, and you will be in the Old Testament book of Zechariah. Now, in this book, in chapter 3, we're going to read about a man by the name of Jeshua. And he is a guy who's standing in need of a makeover, a serious makeover. So uh, read with me. We're just going to read pretty much most of this chapter, if not all of it. And we're going, to, we're going to learn some things about the perfect makeover, and then I'll be through today. Verse 1, Then the angel showed me Jeshua, the high priest, standing before the angel of the Lord. Now, guys, we believe that expression, the angel of the Lord, is a reference to Jesus before he came to the earth. There's a word that you probably haven't used ten times this week called Christophany. And what that word means is a visual manifestation of pre-incarnate Christ. That basically means Jesus before he was born as a baby coming into our world. We think there's several appearances. The Lord appeared to Abraham. Uh, the one who was in the fire furnace was Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. So I just want to give you an idea of what's going on here. There's a scene taking place in heaven, and our Lord is there, and Oddly enough, Satan is there. Look at the text one more time. The angel showed me Jeshua, the high priest, standing before the angel of the Lord. Satan was there at the angel's right hand, accusing Jeshua of many things. Now, at this particular point, the people of God are in bondage and living in slavery because of their wickedness. And some of the worst wickedness that had been in the land had been that of the priesthood. These were guys that were supposed to be representing people to God, but there was a lot of uncleanness in their life. And so Satan is at the right hand of God. He is accusing Jeshua of many things, just as Satan is in heaven accusing you and me of many things. And the Lord said to Satan, I, the Lord, reject your accusations, Satan. Yes, the Lord who has chosen Jerusalem rebukes you. This man is like a burning stick that has been snatched from a fire. Wow, that's a great definition or description of you and me. Can you imagine what that would be like if you saw a fire burning and there was a smoking stick in that fire and you reach into the fire and you pull it out and rescue it from the fire? That is what God is saying to Satan. I reject your accusation. I have reached into the fire and pulled him out. And the last part of the book of Jude says that's how it was for you and for me. We were like a smoking stick in a fire and the Lord pulled us out. Now, here's where I get this makeover business. Jeshua's, verse 3, Jeshua's clothing was filthy as he stood there before the angel. So the angel said to the other standing there, take off his filthy clothes. And turning to Jeshua, he said, see, I have taken away your sins, and now I am giving you these fine new clothes. That is perhaps one of the most beautiful descriptions that you will ever read of salvation and how it happens. Because as the angel of the Lord, our Lord Jesus, is in heaven interceding for us, Satan is there to, to accuse us. And the Lord says, I reject your accusations, 
Satan. And the Lord says about you and me, take off the filthy clothes, which is a picture of our sin, and clothe him, clothe her, in fine new clothes of righteousness. And that's what's happened there. See, he said, I've taken away your sins, and now I'm giving you these fine new clothes. Zechariah is watching all this. And what he now sees is his high priest as the old filthy clothes representing his sins have been taken off and now nice clean clothes of righteousness have been put around his shoulders. But Zechariah is saying something is still wrong with this picture. Verse 5. Then I said, please, could he also have a clean turban on his head? So they put a clean priestly turban on his head and dressed him in new clothes while the angel of the Lord stood by. Now, guys, I'm not always great with spiritualizing text, but I want to tell you what I believe is going on here. Here is a guy who has gotten saved, but he's got some problems up here. And I believe that's pretty descriptive of the average Christian. We have been clothed in new righteousness. But because of the culture that we live in, something is very wrong with our thinking. And not only do we need the new clothes of God's righteousness, but we need to learn a new way of thinking before we can have a complete, total makeover. The beauty and the joy of this text is that God has that potential. Okay, keep reading with me. The angel of the Lord spoke very solemnly to Jeshua and said, This is what the Lord Almighty says. If you follow my ways and obey my requirements... Well, let's just stop for a moment. In this makeover that Jeshua is getting, God now is going to make three promises to Jeshua. And this is, was, this is so important. I wanted to get, stop for a moment and give you these three promises because I believe they're for you and me too. If you will let God not only make over your life by salvation, but make over your thinking, I believe you can have these three promises in your life as well. So go back to the text with me. The angel of the Lord spoke very solemnly to Jeshua and said, this is what the Lord Almighty says. If you follow my ways and obey my requirements, then, number one, you'll be given authority over my temple and its courtyards. I think that's the first thing that happens in your life. If you will let God make you over, let him work in your life, change your way of thinking from the way this world thinks, know the things that are really important. Number one, God will be able to trust you with favor. First thing that God said to this priest, I'm going to let you go back to having authority in my temple. You and I do not have a temple to worship in like the people in the Old Testament. But the Bible tells us that our bodies are the temple of God, that God lives in and works through our bodies. And I believe that just as God said to Jeshua, if you will continue to obey me and think like I want you to think, I will give you authority in this temple. I believe what God is saying to us is that God will give us favor in the temple that we live in. Okay, let's read on. Keep going in the text. I will let you walk in and out of my presence along with these others standing here. Wow. Not only do you get to have favor in this life, you get to enjoy communion with God. There is nothing in this world that will make you over like spending time with God. And God is saying to this priest, if you will walk in my ways, if you will listen to me, if you will let me teach you how to think, I will give you favor in your body. And then beyond that, God was saying, I will let you enjoy communion with me. Read on. Listen to me, O Jeshua, the high priest, verse 8, and all you other priests, you are symbols of the good things to come. Soon I'm going to bring my servant, the branch, which is a reference to Jesus. 
Now look at the jewel I have set before Jeshua, a single stone with seven facets. I will engrave an inscription on it, says the Lord Almighty, and I will remove the sins on this land in a single day. And on that day, says the Lord Almighty, each of you will invite your neighbor into your home to share your peace and prosperity. The third promise that God made to Jeshua was he would be a blessing to the people around him. He would have a positive influence, and he would invite people into his home, and he would have a pleasant uh, impact on the people in his life. Ladies and gentlemen, I believe God offers you those same three promises today. If you will let God make you over, not only your salvation, but your thinking, he will give you authority in your life. He will give you favor. And not only that, he will be able to enjoy fellowship and communion with you, and then you're going to be a blessing to everybody else in your life. You say, Mark, what do you want me to do today? We're just getting started in this series. What are you asking me to do today? I'm asking you to be open to the realization that you and I need an extreme makeover. Not just a little, not just a little change in our life, but an extreme makeover. So much so that we would say, God, I want you to examine me like David did. David said, search me, O Lord, and try me and see if there's anything in me that you don't like. Would you be open to do that today? Would you be open just to go before God and say, God, I'm open to a total makeover today. I want you to work in my life. And Lord, those things that really matter, I'm going to surrender myself to seeking those things that really matter because so much of my life is wrapped up in stuff that isn't going to make any difference when I leave. Would you be open to that today? If you would, I believe anything is possible in your life. Let's pray. Father, I praise you and thank you for this service today. And I ask that you would help us in our lives. Father, there are many of us today that stand in need of this kind of makeover. Father, some of us have been saved, but our thinking is not right. Work within us. Father, give us the confidence when we pray to know that you hear our prayers and that if we ask you that you will help us. And Lord, I just ask that if any of us are filled with pride or that if we're just filled with our own ways and rebellious about letting you work, I just pray that you would help us to let that go. And Lord, if there's anybody here today who's never accepted Jesus as Savior, Lord, I pray that you'll help us to understand that you really do have the power to take off these old filthy clothes of our sins and clothe us in righteousness that we don't deserve as a free gift. Father, I pray that today will be the day of salvation. Thank you for these who have gathered here this morning. And I'll just praise you for all that you work and do in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you stand with me, please? We're going to have a time of invitation. If God is speaking to you about anything, you can come and pray. I'll be here if you want to come and talk to me this morning. God has led you to unite with this church. We invite you to come. Most of all, if you're here and you're not sure that you're going to heaven, I want to tell you, God will give you salvation as a free gift. There will be those who will pray with you here and show you how you can accept that free gift of salvation. If God's speaking, you come if he's calling you. This is my desire to honor you. Lord, with all my heart, I worship you.
To all.